Hi everyone. Tonight is our third session and we're going to explore the prophets. So what I'm going to do is, as I said, you know, in the earlier talks, I'm, obviously I'm not covering everything and I'm just going to highlight some basic meanings here. But I think the story of the prophets, starting with Moses, really helps us to understand Again, not the old sort of way of looking at things where it's God who's sort of like, you know, oh, well, I don't like that, so I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to do something different here. I said that there, I know, but now I'm going to say this here. I look at the dispensations or the different things that are happening is more about the transformation of human consciousness and how humans are understanding the ultimate nature of reality. And so their, their views are changing. And they're kind of saying God changed, but I think it's more human change. Anyhow, that's my uh, my thesis. So we're going to start with Moses. Now Moses, good Lord, there's so many things you could say about Moses. It's a great story, um, and the thing is that it's one of those stories that you will find in other mythic traditions or other creation stories or other stories of people. And it's, it's essentially a story of someone who's an outsider, who becomes an insider, and then uses their inside track to free other outsiders. It's a great story motif, you know. It's really cool, and you'll find it in lots of narratives and movies and things like that. But for me, the, and I, you know, so much to talk about, you know, and he goes, takes the Jews into the desert. I always thought of that more like a, uh, an old cowboy western where they're on this trail ride and you got the trail leader and, you know, they're, they're making their way to California, you know. So you're taking this bunch of ragtag people trying to get them to the, the Holy Land, you know. And <laughs> I was more like a western with Moses being the old, the front pack leader. But uh, I'm not going to get into all that. What I want to really talk about is something that seems to be central to the story of Moses as a prophet. Because the prophets are not what people think they are. Prophets are not, at least not in a biblical sense, prophets aren't like foretellers of the future. You know, I always think of this uh, book of Jim Morrison, who was the lead singer of The Doors that I read uh, when I was young, a teenager. And, and the, the subtitle was uh, A Prophet of Doom with a telescopic lens, you know? And so I, that word prophet has gotten thrown in like that, but that's not really what it was. Uh, the prophet, biblical meaning, at least the way I studied it in seminary, was that the prophet was someone who helped people to have a better understanding of God or brought, you know, some awareness of the nature of God to the people and challenged the people with this, this insight. And that really fits well with my thesis, you know, kind of, this is not about God changing so much, you know, this is about humans changing because their understanding and their awareness is, is sort of evolving into higher levels of awareness and consciousness. So that's what it's about for me. So the story of Moses, I want to focus primarily on, you know, the Ten Commandments. So you have the Decalogue, they call it, in fancy academic term. So the idea is, is that Moses, you know, needs some way to kind of get the people to kind of, you know, live together peaceably. Because it sure doesn't take these folks very long out into the desert where they start, <laughs> they start to forget everything they left behind and even want to go back there, you know. And that's a very common human thing, right? 
And so, you know, Moses goes up on the mountain, you know, uh, Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, you know, depending on the version. And he gets these, you know, pillars, these, uh, these two tablets, right? And a lot of people don't know that there's two versions of that, right? The first time he gets it and comes down and he sees that they've just, you know, they've, they've gone south, you know, they're, <laughs> they're totally worshiping the golden cap. And he just says, oh, screw it, and throws them down and breaks it. <laughs> I always love that part. The humanness of the character of Moses, who, you know, maybe was an Egyptian. That's a cool thing, too. Don't have time for tonight, but there are some scholars that believe he was a certain pharaoh. Uh, who brought about this idea of monotheism, sort of, in Egypt. So anyhow, you can look that up. But I, I think of Moses as a very fascinating character. And so he goes back up again to get them. <laughs> so were there more than ten? We'll never know. But he brings down ten commandments. Now what's interesting about the commandments is that, you know, there are certain things in there in certain languages that are, you know, you could interpret many different ways, but there's there's like a solid five that you can't. There's a solid five that are pretty straightforward. Now, what's interesting in the Buddhist tradition, we have something that is central to our practice, and it's called the precepts. And there are a number of those precepts, and there are the universal five precepts. There are five priestly precepts, and then there are the precepts of you know basic practices and basic refuge. But it's very well understood in Buddhism anyway, at least I hope so, <laughs> that the precepts are not rules or laws that you know someone's going to come and punish you if you break. But rather these are like guidelines for living. And that if you want to make your practice a little better, like in the four direction system, we start with the precepts. So if I have somebody you know, who, you know, let's say somebody's having an affair and comes to me and says, yeah, I'm having an affair and I'm not sure what I want to do and if it's right or wrong, yada, yada, yada. And what I'll do is I'll say, well, if you want to practice me with me and you want to get clear about this so you can make the best decision you can for your life, I'm going to say, let's practice the precept of non-harming of yourself and other and uh, I want you to stop having the affair while we work together. After we're done working together, you can run right back to it. But while we're doing it together, I'm going to ask you to take a break. So the precepts are a way for us to kind of enter into practice and really understand the nature of intention, the difference between harm and hurt, pain and suffering. But I'm not going to go into all that tonight. But essentially what I want to focus on is what they share in common. So the Buddhist precepts are not laws. There's no one to punish you. And you know, in some Buddhist traditions, they don't even use the precepts anymore. But there's parallels. And of course, these parallels exist beyond Buddhism and the Judeo-Christian tradition. You'll find these five universals throughout the world at some point. And these are just things that make it easier for us to live together peaceably. So I look at Moses, do, you know, the delivery of the Ten Commandments is like, man, this is a guideline we have that if we follow this at the very least, to the best of our ability, we'll, we'll have a more peaceable coexistence with each other. And I've often said to people, like, which one do you really have a problem with? Murder? <laughs> Theft? <laughs> Deceit? Uh, uh, you know, wh wh which one do you got a problem with? You know, it's like, 
How can anybody have a problem with those things, especially if you're on the receiving end? Now, if you're the taker, you know, you might not feel, you know, that way about it, but if you're on the receiving end, someone stole your shit, or, you know, you know, someone's trying to kill you, well, then you're like, wow, I really like that precept. I really like that commandment. And I found in, in real life situations, like years ago when I was, you know, building songs in prisons, and in a halfway house, you know, the thing I found was the guys would take precepts and I would do the ceremony of the precepts in prison. And I'll never forget a guard coming to me and saying, man, I wish every inmate would take the precepts. I said, oh yeah, why is that? He says, because I don't have to worry about these guys. You know, I don't have to worry about them stealing from each other, trying to rape each other or kill each other. So it makes a big impact. So for me, that's the, the main meaning that I get and I want to leave with you tonight about the story of Moses. You know, uh, these guidelines, these, these, you know, habits or good, good habits for living, whatever you want to call them, they're just ways for us to live together peaceably. And I think they're also ways for us to sort of kind of explore the meaning of them, you know, like when it comes to like deceit, you know, is it always wrong to lie? You know, you know maybe not. Maybe there are times where it might be more compassionate to not tell the truth. You know, I always think of the, it's kind of a trope, but somebody's in, you know, uh, Germany during the war and they're hiding some Jews and some Nazis come to the door and ask, are you hiding Jews? And they lie and say, no, we're not. So <laughs> I think there's, there, you know, as adults, we realize that it's not, you know, black and white, either or. It's a both and. But at the same time, and they're good guidelines. You know, at the very least, they kind of give us a starting point, just like in the practice with the four directions. So that's the highlight. That's the takeaway with Moses. Now, the other story is Jacob. The next one's Jacob. So Jacob's story is, 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 is really important because the, the big story that you find in the Bible is that, uh, you know, there's Jacob's Ladder, a great Rush song, by the way. But it's the idea of, of, of Jacob who comes to represent the people of Israel. In fact, the name Israel comes from this event. He wrestles with an angel. Now, uh, and, and in fact, the, the Israel itself means uh, they who, he or they who wrestle with God. So why is this story important? Because it highlights the reality of two things. One, it highlights the reality that you know, whatever teaching we're given, you know, whatever boat we're using, remember that once we get to the other shore, you know, we're, we're not supposed to codify that or dogmatize that boat. We're supposed to, you know, use it to get where we're going and then put it down. We're not supposed to sort of idolize it. Well, likewise, the same thing's true about spiritual practice or any kind of relationship. It's a bit of a wrestling match, you know? and and. And that's what I think that Jacob represents as, as a, I think of Jacob as a prophet. Uh, who's, what he's saying is, is that, you know, you've got to wrestle with things. You've got to wrestle with God. And again, for me, it's not the idea that, you know, you wrestle with God and God changes his mind, which is the old way of looking at it. I look at it rather as the human willingness to wrestle with the big questions is always important. Because if we don't wrestle with the big questions and we start to just accept the status quo 
or what we're being fed by the media or what some authority tells us. We lose our freedom, man. We lose our freedom. I'm a big proponent of freedom of speech because I think that if people can't say and can't openly wrestle with, uh, with things, uh, we're, we're in bad shape, man. It's not going to be good. And I don't think that means your speech has to be careless or, or even hurtful. I, I think it should be mindful. I don't think it should be careful, because if it's careful, then I'm always thinking, oh, what can I say, what shouldn't I say? But I think mindful is where my, was my intention in my speech. And I think that's how you guide right speech. But you have to wrestle with it. You know, and I always tell people when they come and hear me teach or they hear something I say, I always say, please, you know, wrestle with it. Test it for yourself. Because what's most important is that you experience it for yourself. And this might be a little bit of a difference between, a difference between maybe the Abrahamic traditions and Buddhism, and some people talk about it as the Gangetic and the Indu River uh, partitions in terms of these teachings, but it's really not about a lawgiver going out and having, you know, the deity tell them what's, what's right and then brings those laws back to the people in that order of society. In Buddhism, you know, the idea is you got to have your own experience. I mean, the experience of the Great Awakening of Shakyamuni, uh, which we celebrate this month on December 16th, I hope to see you there for the retreat and service, beautiful candlelight service. Uh, is really about telling us that, you know, these teachings are, they're just helping us to get to the door, but we have to walk through that door ourselves. We have to have our own experience of awakening. So that's what wrestling with it means. I think, I think you should always wrestle with things, you know. There's a saying in the Bible uh, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I think there's some enlightened ways you can interpret that. But I've always said that questioning everything is the beginning of wisdom in the Dharma. And so I think the story of Jacob encourages that. So the next prophet I want to talk about is Hosea. Hosea's story is really cool, but I'm going to shorten it for time's sake. But essentially, Hosea takes this gal who's really beautiful, and he's an older dude, and she's like this popular party gal, and she's, you know, got a big social influence on, you know, Instagram, and he ends up, you know, marrying her, and, you know, uh, it's kind of cool for a while, but then, you know, she's kind of wild, and, and so she basically runs around on Hosea and kind of, you know, abandons him, and then later on, you know, she, she's great, like, right, she's, you know, got all this fanfare and stuff, and everybody loves her, but she starts to get older, gets a little long in the tooth, and suddenly there's younger versions of her that now everybody's kind of attracted to, and, you know, there was no plastic surgery back then, but so she has to kind of just deal with it. And so basically people aren't as turned on by her anymore. And the thing is, in, in the story, you know, she's uh, basically for sale, and Isaiah finds her and sees her, and instead of like, huh-huh, you dumb, dirty gal. He loves her. He loves her even in spite of all that's happened. He gave her a home. He gave her everything. He gave her love. And she spurned all that in pursuit of her own stuff. 
But man, he still loves her. And he takes her home. And he doesn't care what the neighbors say. He doesn't care what the paparazzi say. He doesn't care what they say on Twitter. He loves her. And he redeems her. She's redeemed by the love that he has for her. And that's what Hosea's prophet is teaching. He's teaching that, you know, and it's easy to get this idea that God is, again, and I'm looking at it from, not from here, because I'm not God, I'm looking at it from the human view, uh, that it's easy to get that God's this legalistic law thing, especially when you come through the story of Moses and stuff like that. But what, what Hosea is saying is what God is, is God is not the law, right? She broke the law. She was an adulterer. She, she did all that. It, what, what, God, what Hosea is saying is God is love. And so that's, that's for me, a breakthrough in consciousness. As humans, they kind of go from, you know, the Garden of Eden stage, then the, you know, the Noah stage, then they go to the legalistic stage. And then they get to this place where they're like, no, man, it's about love. It's about forgiveness. That's what it's really about. And that's what Hosea teaches us, in my opinion. The next person to come along that I, that I really dig is the prophet, and I'm not going to hit all of them, but the prophet Amos. And I think that Amos' <laughs> main teaching, I'm not going to go deep into the story for time constraints, but I'd read the story if I were you. But the, the real meaning of Amos is practice what you preach. You know, there's a certain thing that can happen when you're a practitioner of a faith tradition or, you know, any sort of school of thought. And you can become sort of, you know, you're not living it. You're saying it, but you're not living it. You know, and you're not, you're not practicing what you preach. And I think that Amos' message you know, certainly he was very critical of the Jews at this particular time in their story. But I think he's really saying, you know, it's not so important, you know, you're, if you come to the temple and you offer incense or, you know, you're someone that, you know, is seen as a good person or a religious person. And that's not so important. What's important is how you treat others, and especially others who maybe for one reason or another are, you know, not doing as well as you are. And, and so that practice what you preach, you know, and that's to me is something that drew me to Buddhism because it was really like, you know, yeah, you can have all these beliefs, but it's really what's important is, is what you practice. I remember one time with a, one of my teachers, someone said to them, you know, what comes first? You know, uh, the practice or the Buddha? And he said, practice, Buddha will take care of itself. You know, it was sort of, he was sort of talking about Buddha's enlightenment. And so practice will take care of enlightenment. Enlightenment will take care of practice. So that's the story of Amos. And again, I didn't go into the depths of the story like I did Hosea, but I want you to kind of get the highlight of what I think this prophet is about. Then the other prophet that I, I really had fun with when I was a kid was Jonah. <laughs> and everybody knows the story of Jonah, right? And the great fish which some people call a whale, and, you know, how Jonah is supposed to go to Nineveh, and he's supposed to preach there, and God says, I want you to preach, you know, uh, the, the truth of life to them so they can be redeemed. And he doesn't want to. He hates the Ninevites. 
And so he, he doesn't want to do it. And so he gets on this ship and <laughs> he's trying to escape his job of doing this. And there's this whole sort of back and forth where, you know, maybe it's better we get him off this ship because he's bad luck. And he gets swallowed by the fish, right? And when he comes out, um, you know, after three, I think it's three days, you know, so it's symbolic. And he's, uh, you know, released from the fish, you know, um, he finds out that the Ninevites not only want to hear what he has to say, but they actually become some of the greatest followers of all. And I think of the story of Jonah, the highlight for me is that there's no prejudice in the Dharma. I mean, and the message for me of Jonah is, is that there's no room for prejudice. You know, he was very prejudiced against the Ninevites and, you know, thought they were lower than him or not as good as him. And it's very easy in our culture to do that, right? We all have our groups that we think we're better than and they're lower than, you know. We always deplore someone, you know. And that the Dharma, the, the, the teachings of wisdom and love, there's no room for prejudice of any kind. And certainly we have to use discernment and wisdom to understand things, but there's no room for prejudice. And I don't mean prejudice just of a people like Jonah did, but a prejudice of even ideas. You know, we, we need to realize that prejudice, no matter what it is, is always an opinion that is no longer open to new information. So that, to me, is the story of Jonah. And then finally, I'm going to finish with Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the canonical books of the Bible that are found like in the King James Version. And Malachi's message is, in many ways, to me, similar in some ways to Hosea, but Malachi's message is, is that the, the story of God, or the story of wisdom and love, is not just for one people. You know, it's not about just this chosen group or that chosen group. Malachi's, as a prophet, what he's preaching and teaching is, is oneness, in my opinion. I think of Malachi as a prophet of oneness, where he wants everyone to understand that the, the Dharma, the, the good news, whatever you want to call it, it it's, it's, no dis, it's no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. We are all one family of humanity. And even if there are aliens out there, which I think there might be, they're also part of that oneness. There's no separation. And that's what I think Malachi teaches us. So there you have it, guys. There's my quick review of the prophets. Now, again, I would heartily recommend that you take the time, get your Bible. If you don't have one, get one. Break it open. Read these stories. And really, you know, as you're reading them, try to see what it can teach you and can teach you even if you don't think you're religious. And uh, I think you'll find there's a lot there. A lot of good stuff.